Church of Venice, it's good to see you. Again, our normal organist, Asta, is out of town. She's in Riga still, and so we have a guest organist this morning again from last week, Yurate Lansbrigite. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you, Yurate. Thank you for playing in Asta's place. Our first hymn this morning is 412, 412, Be Thou My Vision. You would please stand and sing.
victory won. It's that victory that allows us to confess when we fall short, because ultimately we have received that victory in Christ. And so we say together, friends in Christ, let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, by what we have left undone, we have not loved You with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in the image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord. For he has heard the voice of our prayer, therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song we'll praise our God. Our responsive reading this morning comes from Psalm 40, starting in verse 5. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done the things you plan for us. None can compare with you were I to speak and tell of your deeds. They would be too many to declare. Our second hymn this morning is 55, All Creatures of Our God and King. Hymn number 55.
sometimes doubt these words. Hearing each other sing them is often convincing and powerful. Thank you for singing. Our first reading this morning is from Amos 5. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? pitch dark without a ray of brightness. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You've lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes from Matthew chapter 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus said to the disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Then he will reward each person according to what they've done. Truly I tell you, Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our sermon reading this morning is from Romans 5. Started in verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We live in a broken, sinful world, and it, it doesn't take much to notice. We wake up and we feel the aches and pains of an aging body. Turn on the TV, we see catastrophe and famine, disaster. We hang out with friends, we hang out with families, we see the disagreements that arise so easily amongst opinions. Our sin, our sin comes from an attempt to cope with suffering. When we sin against God, it's not because we wake up and we want to go against God. It's because something is enticing us that may seem like life. It's an attempt to cope with suffering, with a broken world that we live in. And because it's sinful, and because we pro, we add to that sin, there's a need for justice, and we all feel that need for justice. But at the, at the same time, there's an equal need for mercy. This leads philosophers, many of discussed this, and of course, in a 15-minute sermon, there's no way that we can get to the bottom of it, but we can get an, an idea of a Christian perspective. What does, where does God fit in this scenario? Many philosophers have said, well, if he truly is powerful, then he must not care. Because if he actually loved us, if the Bible was true, then we wouldn't have the suffering that we feel and experience on a day-to-day -day basis. So God either doesn't love us or he's not powerful to do what it takes to make the world right. And of course, I think this is an oversimplification of an insufficient explanation. And I think Paul does too. But then we have this whole other conversation that's related to these questions somewhat. And that's what, it, what does it take to gain or to achieve excellence, perfection, morally, or maybe even just in practice in life, in our work? How do we live in the meantime if we're not perfect and we're trying to be in the midst of a suffering world? What's the purpose of our suffering and can it be used for our gain? And I suppose the personal question that I've asked myself this week and I ask you now is, how do you view your pain and suffering in this world as a Christian? What is its purpose?
Paul gives us a little example, a little taste of the Christian perspective in Romans 5. And I want to start in verse 6, because sometimes Paul gets excited and he jumps ahead. And sometimes he puts his foundation last because he likes the punchline. So I'm going to start in verse 6. He says, at the, at the right time, at the appropriate time, which I think is right now for us in our response to God. But God saw in his infinite wisdom at the right time to send Jesus to die. He says, for us, the powerless. The person, the person that says that Jesus, or God rather, he can't be all-powerful because if he was, then he would, he would do something about it. He can't be all-loving because he hasn't clearly. Obviously, the world is still broken. But Paul says the powerlessness or the inability is not in God. It's in us. It's our lack. It's our willingness to be loving. It's our willingness or inability to have the power to change the world as a whole. We are unable. And I think about this, if that's offensive to you, I, it, sometimes it's offensive to me. What do you mean I'm not able? What do you mean I'm not loving? Well, let's look at our responses to others this week. To the powerless. God responds to the powerless, us, who are unable to reach his holiness and his expectations. How do we treat those powerless people in our lives, perhaps our enemies, that do not live up to our expectations or our hopes in humanity? Are we able to respond in the way that we hope God would respond? And if I'm completely honest with you, I fail consistently in this. He says it makes sense, verse 7. Rarely would someone die for someone that's righteous. You know, if you stop and think about it, that's the basis for most religion. If you are righteous, God will die for you or God will spare you. If you're righteous enough, if you reach his level of expectation for you morally and in the world, then you are accepted. Rarely would someone die for the righteous. Someone might even less likely die for the good. But for sinners, get out of here. You're crazy. No one dies for sinners. No one goes to the powerless. They expect the powerless to rise to the occasion and earn it. But he says in verse 8, the demonstration of his love. He demonstrates his love by dying for sinners. At the appropriate time. Verse 9 says, we are justified by his blood. The death of Christ means something to us. Jesus died under the law. And because he died, it canceled the law that was over him. It canceled the authority from evil powers. Paul calls this the prince of the power of the air, or we might call this as, as the demonic forces in the world that are now ruling in chaos. But the death, when one dies, they are freed from or no longer subject to the ways of the world. His blood is a sacrifice. We know a lot about sacrifices based on our 
readings in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures. The sacrifice is, is some type of gift to God in order to receive blessing from Him, to reconcile ourselves to Him, to show our devotion to Him. And notice that Jesus doesn't bring a gift, but He brings Himself, God Himself. That's why it's so important that Jesus is divine or that we hold Him to be God as part of the Trinity. God dies for you and for me. So if he's willing to die, how much more security and proof that he cares, that he is powerful, that he is loving through the person of Christ? How much more proof and security do we need to see that God himself is willing to come to the earth and the flesh to take care of our problem? Our lack. We still have a problem with suffering. But before that, he says in verse 10, if he dies for his enemies through the death of his son, it means we're reconciled. And if we're reconciled through his death, how much more so are we secure in his life, his resurrection? Because Jesus rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven, and he's given this position of power that's over the death that was over him in his life. And so that place of honor, in the New Testament it's often referred to as co-regency. This place of right hand, fellowship, power, adoption. Think of Caesar, the first century system of adopting who would rule how much more so how much more so are we to be confident and we rejoice now this is this is where it gets a bit tricky because paul begins to speak about rejoicing in god through jesus this is verse 11 rejoicing because god has created reconciliation between himself and us through christ so let's go back to verse 1, because I think this follows, this follows more naturally. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, in other words, made right, we are currently wrong in our sin, but we are made right through the work of Christ. We now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've gained access, verse 2, by faith. This is temple imagery. We now have the ability to go into a holy God's presence not because we've earned it, because of grace. Okay, so he says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of the Lord. Now this is where it gets tricky because we can talk about a broken world. We can talk about how do we deal with suffering. How do we, what is our perspective in a broken world in regards to other people? Is God really insufficient or unable to fix this world, or does he just not care? And this is where Paul really starts to shine. Verse 3, he says, Also we rejoice in our sufferings. He doesn't say that we rejoice about our sufferings. He doesn't say that we ought to be glad that bad things happen to us necessarily, but that we can rejoice in the midst of our suffering. That is a complete opposite of what the world tells us. 
Because the world says, well, the world should be good. If God is good, he should make changes in the world because our life should be happy and problem-free. And yet Paul says our suffering should cause us to praise God for what he's done. Not that we're in pain. And like so many self-help books that I've seen on the bookshelf, which is the majority of most bookshelves and bookstores, it's not a trick to avoid pain or to dull it. It's not to, to say it doesn't, it doesn't really hurt. It's, let's, let's just ignore it or, or pretend that it's not there. No, Paul says this is a full embracing of that pain. It's not to take away from it. It's to fully experience it in realizing it. And in the midst of that, it can cause rejoicing. Because the world says when we experience suffering or setbacks, it's wasted time. It's wasted opportunity. It's a detriment to our life. But we cannot rejoice in the midst of our suffering about what God has done unless we truly believe and are grateful for what God has done. The greatness of his gift. The greatness of his action in our lives can cause us to rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. How does this work? When we experience hardship... creates perseverance. Someone who perseveres has the mentality of experience. They know that they've been through it before. They have a specific tolerance that has been built up because they know what it's like to be in the midst of it. One of the biggest things that inhibits us from living like Christ is fear. And as we start to do it, we start to see that it is possible, not on our own strength, but through Christ. Now, this, is, this, this little step here from suffering to perseverance to character to hope is exactly what we see in the life of Christ. It's training. It's growth. It's discipline, which is related, related to being a disciple. I know that sounds really bad. God disciplines us as if he's some taskmaster at a school or slapping our wrist. But the reason that we rejoice is because we know that we have the ultimate victory, as we've seen in the hymns this morning. That this temporary experience isn't just about us avoiding suffering, but our suffering often points out our deficiencies where we can grow, and it often trains us in our process of becoming more like Christ. And as we experience these hardships, we start to change. We start to grow in character. We start to develop. We start to see muscles pop up that weren't there before because we weren't used to working them. There's so many examples. We have, met, we have several musicians in, in our midst this morning. How do you master A musical piece by Beethoven or Chopin or whoever. Your fingers have to get used to the calluses and the soreness, the sensitivity of the, the notes. 
Your breath has to develop. Your ear has to develop. Your time is sometimes felt like it's wasted. You're not growing. You're not getting where you want to be. The future doesn't seem hopeful. It's hard. It's difficult. Especially if you have a difficult teacher who pushes you, who disciplines you, but it produces in you perseverance. You start to see, well, I look in the past and I went through that. I can go through this now. I've gotten better, but it doesn't get any more difficult or it doesn't get any easier. I'm just getting better. It produces a character in you when you start to see the change in your growth and you see the difference. It pushes you to go further. In other words, you rejoice in your sufferings. You don't rejoice about it. You don't rejoice that it was difficult, but you rejoice in the, the product that you get, the result. And the thing about this is, is that the more and more that your fear or loss or, or, or a mindset of setback, the more that that subsides and you start to feel the richness of what you are acting in, it gives you a hope. It gives you a hope that things are going to get better. And this is not just some musical lesson, but this is actually the power of God in us, given by God, the Holy Spirit. The text says here that God has poured love into our hearts, given by the Holy Spirit. You know, when we live, we live in a, a painful world and often people will say, well, you know, that sounds nice to be a believer, but why would I choose to enter into that pain and that suffering? And the truth is, ultimately, pain and suffering happens to us anyways, whether we're a Christian or not. Whether you believe in Jesus or Buddha or you believe in whatever. If you believe in nothing, it doesn't change the way our world treats us. How would you like to experience the world? Is it in fear? Is it with the hope that bad things don't happen? Or when the bad things do happen, despair because you lost time or prestige or your money or your relationships? You see, so many people see the sinful world as something God needs to fix if he's loving. And if the world isn't perfect, then that means God is impotent or he's not powerful enough. But to see, the problem is, is that we lack, and it's our sin. It's our sin that we continually engage in by what we have done and by what we have left undone. But what does it take to be excellent? What does it take to be perfect? Well, morally speaking, we trust in the gift of Christ. But on this earth, in the meantime, what purpose does our pain and our suffering have? Paul says it has a great purpose. And it can be used to great gain. How do you view your pain and suffering today? All of us are going through something. And I guarantee you, having had the conversations that I've had with many of you, you've all been through something big that you can point to and say, yeah, that was a terrible experience. 
But Paul says that we can rejoice ultimately in the same way when the kid or the the master pianist goes to practice. He knows that, she knows that the more they put in, the more they get out. The more that they persevere, the more that they will be changed, the more that they'll develop, and it gives them a great hope of being a master. Let us view this, this same perspective in our Christian life, that when we suffer, it's God not judging us, but God pointing us to where we can grow and be better and develop. It's such a different perspective. It takes the negative and the fear and the judgment and the shame out of everything, and it puts it to hope and glory and gratitude. And ultimately, Paul says, love for others who are desperate to receive it like us. Amen. Let's take some time just to reflect on God's goodness. And maybe take a moment to shift the perspective of the bad in your life to what God might be doing, even in the midst of terrible pain. And then we'll stand together and recite what we believe. Amen. Would you please stand with me? You might be in a place this morning where maybe you're struggling in your faith. But I ask you to say these words loud and boldly for the next person, the person beside you. Together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
together. Lord God, we thank you for the cosmic difference that you've made in this world through Jesus. We can rest in his grace. We can trust that justice and mercy will equally be given. In a world that's so often broken, and we thank you for who you are, for your goodness, for your holiness, that you are powerful, that you are loving, and that we can hope in you. That you've given us the ability to hope through the Spirit. God, grant us more of a mindset, more of a perspective that hopes and trusts in these truths. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for the ongoing events in the world, the fighting, the civil war, the famines, the, the problems that we see even in our own countries, the politics, the fighting, the division, condemnation, the desire for exposing others and accountability, and yet the rule of hypocrisy that it's so clear. God, please move in the world. Thank you that you have moved in the world. Use us to be a voice of truth and also of love. God, we pray for the city of Vilnius in Lithuania that you would use its leaders and its citizens to stand up for what is right in all matters of life. Thank you for freedom here. Thank you for relatively safe um, safety from COVID-19. God, we pray for healing. We pray for ongoing protection. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And God, we pray for the individuals in our church, those who are away, who are traveling or away uh, at home with their families. God, we pray for those who are close and near to us who, who are leaving. We pray extra protection and guidance upon their minds and hearts. And we pray for logistics. We ask that that moves would be successful and efficient and God we pray ultimately blessing upon those who leave upon those who stay God continue your work in this church continue what you've started in our lives give us the minds that will engage in actively pursuing this even when it hurts Give us hope, give us character, develop us as individuals as we seek you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our last hymn this morning is 113. Holy, holy, holy. You'd stand and sing.
receive the Lord's benediction. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.